everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website, and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bogger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions, and joining me as per usual is my co-host, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Everything is wrong in the closet. <laughs> um, <laughs> that feels like a pop song that never got recorded. Well... Sadly, that's probably true. Uh, but as everyone knows, I record in my closet in the bedroom and I had to plug my laptop in to do this. And normally I don't. So everything is in the wrong place and I am not handling it well. Do you have a so cat? So if I sound weird or something really loudly falls to the ground off of the table I'm using to hold stuff up, please don't judge us. Do you have a cat? Not right now, actually. We were doing, um, spoiler alert, a a test yesterday for the guest that has joined us today, who we'll get to in a second, and uh, Hammersmith used me as a literal stepping stone to get to the part of the closet he wanted to sit in. But uh, neither of them are in here right now, probably because it's a little warm. (laughs) Greg decided we were going to have the windows open in here today, and the air circulation is not great. So what are we talking about, and who's joining us? Uh, Well, we are talking about... Uh, a classics revisited which is an actual like legitimate classic uh one of the probably most critically acclaimed period films ever made and you will know it as soon as i say the name of it even if you only remember the music which i had forgotten how um how very just amazing that music is and how i had internalized it without realizing but anyway it is uh the merchant and ivory film a room with a view and joining us to talk about it is brand new television's contributor, Sophie Brookover. Welcome to whatever this is. <laughs> Thank you so much. It is super lovely to be here. And uh, I know that this is the place for me because when I sent you an email with approximately a thousand exclamation points about uh, this particular episode, you and Annie not only did not flinch, you were like, no, that's exactly the way to do it. <laughs> um, she pushed really hard for this, by the way. So I yeah. assume Sophie has some 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 deep thoughts. So many on thoughts. This film. I have to say, um, the thing about this is that, like, this is one of the earliest period movies that I actually remember watching as a kid. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure um, I saw it in the theater with my mom. Um, but honestly, like, I. I part of me didn't really remember any of it and part of me remembered all of it if that makes any sense I am surprised by how much of it I just did not remember but I think that is also like kind of the brand of Merchant and Ivory like I think people forget that Merchant and Ivory was like people's only idea of kind of what a period drama was supposed to be for like decades and that was something that was very pretty that was very slow and kind of nothing happened in for the most part. And you just sort of like felt fine watching it and, and everybody threw awards at it because it was pretty and it starred a lot of like really great performers. But they yeah, they literally I, became like shorthand for a genre. This reminded me powerfully when I when I was rewatching for what can only have been the kajillionth time in my life. Uh, like Annie, this is, I think, the first major costume drama that I ever I ever saw and in fact I have a vivid memory of my mom coming home from the theater like she and my dad had gone to the movies it was a very big deal um and she just came back raving about this movie and I don't know that I saw it in theater but it's such a touchstone for my entire family um it's really like the influence that it has had on me as a person and on my taste it just can't possibly be overstated. But when I was watching it, uh, rewatching yesterday and today, um, I was reminded very powerfully of what Annie said in um, a previous Classics Revisited episode that you guys did on the uh, the OG Brideshead Revisited with Jeremy Irons. And um, something you had said was like, everybody says they really don't make things like this. They don't make them like this anymore. Um, and then you said the truth is they stopped making them like this after they made this. But but there's there's elements of of that in this when you were talking particularly about like how when someone crosses a room, the amount of time that you see them crossing the room is the amount of time that it takes for a person to cross the room. Um, and, and there's a number of moments like that where you can barely hear the conversation in the background. It doesn't matter. You're just like soaking in it. Yeah. 
um, it takes forever for them to walk across a field. Which is fine. But honestly, that's so okay long. that it takes them forever <laughs> to walk across the field because the sexual tension ratcheting up in that walk across the Oof. field is mm-hmm. absolutely worth the time it took to get from one end of that field to the other. Yeah. I have so many opinions that people are going to yell at me for. <laughs> but I want to rewind a little to say that I don't think I, this is actually one of the first period movies that I saw. Ooh. I think I read the book first. <gasps> oh. Wow. Because wow. I... um. I quite like Ian Forster, and uh, this is not my favorite. I love Howard's End. So I think this may be another one of those situations, like, what was it? We were talking about the Brontes, maybe, mm-hmm. where you're a Jane Eyre or Wuthering Heights kind of girl. Mm-hmm. I am a Howard's End girl, not a Room with a View girl. See, I am definitely a Room with a View girl. And I tore through E.M. Foster when I was 19, I think. I want to say it was sophomore year of college um that i went through like his entire like that i basically went full completionist on him um and yeah this one was definitely my favorite but i had seen the movie beforehand i had not seen howard's end before i read it um and i think actually that that sort of affected my view of that movie because i definitely like the book better um whereas with this i definitely like the movie better um, and that's partly because Helena Bonham Carter is always going to be like the person in the room with the view for me yeah. in the same way that Maggie Smith is always going to be Charlotte. Um, and in the same way that like, like these, these character, these characters are sort of imprinted on those actors in a way that I don't think I'd sort of realized like seeing Daniel Day-Lewis in this as a young man, I suddenly realized that, that I've never seen Daniel Day-Lewis not as this character in some form. Well, considering how hard he works to be method and like eats raw meat and things, like that's very disappointing. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's very powerful. I The thing that I like to think about the most when I think about, I mean, his, I think his performance is terrific, but like the thing that I love to think about that just cracks me up um, is that his film credits for 1986, which is the year the film was released. They shot it in 85, released in 86. Um, his two films for that year were this. So he played Cecil Vise and uh, My Beautiful Laundrette, in which he played a gay punk in love with a British Pakistani guy. Daniel Day-Lewis can do anything. The range. Oh, I... I saw that one many years later. I think I saw that. I saw that one when I, I think I saw that one when I was in high school. I remember that being on Bravo and watching it because he had been Cecil. What right. I think is so interesting here is that we are 10 minutes into this episode. We have yet to discuss the plot of the film, partially <laughs> because the plot of partially because the plot of the film is like extra basic. Yes, it's true. Uh, and, and I think that is maybe something that is kind of a hallmark of these older kind of period mm-hmm attempts where nowadays you get a period drama it has 87 characters there's like upstairs downstairs the post guy whatever and lots of things are happening like all the time and that may be just a a product of the fact that we as a society have a collectively much shorter attention span than we used to but like nothing happens in this movie basically that's not true a girl meets a boy like some women go to italy they meet a weird dad and his weird son they all uh the Maggie Smith freaks out when the weird son kisses Helena Bonham Carter. They go back to England. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter gets engaged. That continues. The weird dad and his weird son are suddenly back there and drama ensues. And that is literally the whole movie. But again, I, I mean, I, what you're describing is, you know, strictly speaking, true. Um, but I, I don't hear that as a critique at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, and you may have intended it as one, but it to me is not like. I don't know if I did or not. I don't know if I did or not, but it is like, it's it's a bit jarring watching it this many years later. Mm. Maybe is what I meant because there is, like, it's more about the vibes. To use a modern mm-hmm. phrase to describe mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a movie that's more about the vibes than the plot. It's about the Merchant Ivory vibe. Um, two thoughts that I had. Um, one, I was really glad that there wasn't much more of a plot to it than that when I was watching, um, because it meant that I didn't have to think about or remember anything other than I was madly in love with Lucy and George and that I hated Charlotte. I would love to know why. 
They do not do it for me. I would love to know why. Um, I like Lucy a whole lot. I think George is kind of a weird hot cipher. He is. Um, I think, okay, yes, he is a weird yeah. hot cipher, but that way you can imprint whatever the heck you want on him. He can be whatever you want him to be. I think the, uh, the well, I think something that isn't remarkable to us as contemporary viewers, but which would have been remarkable and was remarkable at the time was like, I mean, Reverend Beeb, Reverend Mr. Beeb, who I love so much, says something about them being a free thinking father and son. Oh, yeah. He calls like, them a radical at some point. Yes. Yes. And I mean, there's that moment where where the the older Mr. Emerson is uh, in Santa Croce with with Lucy and uh, the Reverend Mr. Eager says something about how the cathedral was built in like, you know, for through faith alone. And he goes, yeah, that just means they didn't pay anyone properly. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yes yes a hot union mm. summer was happening there Where are, too. They are they in florence then? yeah because if it was florence and medici paid for it yeah um <laughs> um the other thing that really struck me about this is that it is kind of tragic that they a don't make them like this anymore and b don't award oscars to them like this anymore because oh, yeah merchant and ivory got so much hardware just survives because if they did Benedict Cumberbatch would have like ten of them. <laughs> I need to. I'm, has he ever actually been in a Merchant in Ivory film, or does he just have Merchant in Ivory vibes? I don't know. No, he is just the like he would be like the Merchant in Ivory hero if Merchant he is like I Merchant in Ivory vibes given human form. Yes, and you know one of the things about Benedict Cumberbatch, which I've always sort of like been amused by. <sighs> I'm going to make you pronounce his name right if it is the last thing I do. It is Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. There you go. <laughs> All right. Benedict. Sorry, this is like my personal mission because I love. <laughs> okay. So the thing about him is that um the thing about Benedict the thing about Just call him Benedict. Everybody else does. Okay, fine, Benedict. Is that he has been basically gunning for an Oscar for a decade now. Every single movie he picks is an Oscar. He got robbed for Power of the Dog, though. I'm not going to front about that. It, that that is true, oh, but you can yeah. literally see in his choices that he is always trying to pick what the Academy will award. And all I can think is, man, if he if he was born in the wrong century, if 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 he was doing this in 1985, he'd have done it by now, and he could retire happily. I'm trying to remember he was in some it might have even been on Masterpiece, like some period drama where he's like on a boat for a long time because the boat's like going to Australia or something. It's called like At the End of the World or The End of the World. Something about the world ending because they're going to Australia. And it's very much that vibe. It's very skinny, malnourished looking. Yeah. Genteel. So he doesn't have to work very hard to accomplish that. No. That look. No, not really. So that's his whole like family tree. <laughs> I love him, though. Um, I have to he got robbed for Power of the Dog. I feel like I need to say that some more. Like, you know how we could have avoided that entire embarrassing Will Smith mess? Oh boy. We could have given the award to Benedict, who deserved it, who would have made a nice speech about Ukraine, and we all would have kept it moving. <laughs> all right. What I want to know, though, also, is did you want to know uh, Charlotte's backstory? Because the other thing that I think really mm. struck me this time is how much Maggie Smith infuses into Charlotte that I'd sort of missed as a, as a younger person. I really noticed how much of the movie she's not in. Hmm. She disappears for like the whole middle. Yeah, she like, does. Just a huge chunk of the movie. She's not there. And, I feel like and she pops and, up pretty quickly because of her boiler. Yeah, she she basically keeps when when she's there though, like you really feel that there's some kind that that her repression is actually it's not just who she is. There's like a thing that's driving it. Yeah. And she, I don't think I'd ever picked up on that before quite so quite so strongly i guess yeah th this time the the thing I, I i had a similar feeling annie and the um the thing that it reminded me of a little bit um is and i'm now going to have to recall the name of the aha okay it's fanny price in mansfield park who when i first read that book i was like this is a Jane Austen, am I sure? Like, I love mm -hmm. Persuasion. I love Pride and Prejudice. Emma, I'm on. But like, you know, the one thing I could always say is even, even in the case of like Anne Elliot, who is really just like a, such an interior character, you know, all of her female protagonists have like, there's a little spark in there somewhere. And I couldn't detect it in, in Fanny Price at all. And I was kind of complaining about it in class. And a, a, um, a classmate turned to me and said, that is a survival strategy. She 
Oh, I like that as a read. She though. is, yeah, no, no, it completely changed the way I look at that character. Um, it's like she is extremely aware at every single moment that she is there on charity, and that you know she's just like a wrong remark away from being sent back home to her family who, you know, the reason she's at Mansfield park is to send money home to them so that they don't starve. Um, now I don't know that Charlotte, we don't know. We don't know what's going on with Charlotte. She obviously has some means because there is a boiler that she owns that needs to be repaired, right? Like she has something going on there. But everybody gets so classist about them. Like it's really, it's a lot in some places. Yeah. yeah. So she, I, th- I think that, you know, may- maybe there is something innately in her that is kind of conservative and wants to like toe a particular line, although that sort of falls apart at the end because absent her machinations, Lucy would not have had that pivotal conversation with George's father. But um, yeah, she's so upright um, and in line with these like super and her sleeves are so big oh, they're so big so puffy um, <laughs> so yeah no but I mean like her, her Edwardian values just sort of like seep from every pore in the early part of the film and I the the thing that hit me this time was I wonder if like that that probably has something to do with her need to survive like keep a roof over her head and keep herself fed and she wants to stay on the right side of her generous relatives at all times and it isn't fun i'm sure that's not a life that's as delightful as it could be or should be but it's sensible yeah the other thing that also um uh, that i i noted and i could not and i actually rewound a couple of times trying to figure it out is helena bottom carter actually playing beethoven Yes, she is actually playing Beethoven. She is actually playing Schubert. And the reason I know that is because I have the film on DVD and it comes with these two short, like 20 minute documentaries about the the film's production and and the cast and all that. And there are some really delightful details. I'm not going to share all of them, but one of them is that Helena Bonham Carter has a natural, is not a trained pianist, except for this particular role. But, um, you know, you can see she is actually playing. She has a flair. And uh, James Ivory talks about how, like, they had a music teacher come and and teach her how to do this. And the teacher noted to him, James Ivory, like, wow, I'm surprised she doesn't actually have classical training. Like, she really, she's picked this up really quickly and she's going to be able to sell it on screen. Okay, because I was I was trying to figure out whether or not she actually was playing, or if she was just selling it really, really yeah. well. No, that's okay, her. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Anyway, th- those were those were my those were my main notes from this time. <laughs> other than the fact that I suddenly realized that I had no idea whether or not this was actually Merchant Ivory's first film, or if it was just the first one that people have heard of, and I had to go find that. I had to like go down a rabbit hole of Merchant <laughs> Ivory like knowledge um, to find out. <laughs> I went down a very different rabbit hole because this film is the first uh, film that Dames, Judy, and Maggie were in together. Mm. And there are lots of delightful stories (laughs) about them being complete psychotics on the set (laughs) and just being amazing. Like, I wish I was their friend. Helena says this was her. She'd done Lady Jane with with Carrie Elway's. And didn't think she was going to get this. She was planning on going to university. She got this and she was like, oh, I guess I'm going to delay going to university. (laughs) Um, And came to set and her mother was there, I think, most of the time. And she said, basically, what you see on screen, the way that Judy and Maggie, like their chemistry as... Like they glow together. Yes, as as Eleanor Lavish and, and, and Charlotte Bartlett, that is exactly what they were like in person. And she felt every bit as excluded from their little thing as Lucy obviously does from Eleanor and, and Charlotte's whole deal. That's amazing. I mean, clearly this is not the first time they've ever performed together. They shared a dressing room at a, what some show in the West End when they first both were were we dames in training but, uh, <laughs> baby dames. I love them and aspire to attain their friendship. Yes, yes. they're amazing. Like their friendship goals. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like there's the other thing about this movie, I think also is I did. I don't think it ever occurred to me just how a list every single person in. Did this... you catch tiny baby Rupert? Grace yes! Yep, I did. Oh, my yep. God. He's such a toddler. Right. <laughs> um. Also, can I just 
We don't get full frontal nudity in movies like that. Sure, do not. Oh well, with Merchant, well Merchant and Ivory, it was fine because they're vibes, they're prestige vibes. Nakedness is not sexual; it's artistic. (laughs) No, I I mean, I mean, yes, yes, yes. But also no, like there's it, that's their whole. I mean, thing. it's well, yeah, it, it it is. I mean, by definition, because they were partners in life as well as um in business. Um, so like, there is this film. I think makes an amazingly effective case for the notion that nudity is not by definition erotic, and eroticism does not necessarily require nudity. That's not a bad thought. I mean, honestly, like I just I kind of burst out laughing when when we hit that point because I was just like, oh, look at them all flapping around. Yep. Um, Apparently they were promised that that was not going to be the case. I Sim- mean- Simon Callow said, like, I was assured. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I just it was one of those things where it also just struck me because, I mean, I do sort of. I am sort of aware, like vaguely in the back of my brain at all times, because I am a critic, that we have sort of become very Disneyfied Mm. in our movies today. Yes. And that there is sort of a puritanical sort of level of. Yes. Babe, you've got to stop reading like the puritans on Tumblr. (laughs) That is just not true. Well, no, but like in especially in blockbuster movies and in Oscar films, you if it's not in if it's not a super indie film. Yeah. It's it 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 gets weird. It's weird. It like it's sexy, but it's also sexless, and you don't get this kind of just sort of casualness of 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 just like being naked. And that really like I felt that seeing in in watching this. It's it it was the same sort of thing as um I was watching some old Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where they just they just cursed like all the time, and I was just like. People don't curse like that in movies anymore. I think it was the um, it was the one with the where they where they where they um were oh gosh the Total Recall, uh they just curse all the time. I was like, I I I remember I'd watched that movie when it came out. I I knew that, and yet somehow it was really shocking seeing it now in like the twenty twenties. And I I again the same sort of thing like in the eighties, just we were so much more adult without thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that had to do with um, the way that the MPAA ratings situation mm, has changed. True. Like, there's there's a really good documentary about that, and it's I wish I would love to see an update of that now because I think things have changed even since that. That's like I don't know, fifteen years old or more at this point. Um, right? Because PG thirteen didn't even ex- did PG thirteen even exist in nineteen eighty five? Yes. Okay. The first PG thirteen film was Gremlins. Wait, why was it PG? Did somebody say a cuss word in Gremlins? Is that what happened? I have no idea. P- but PG thirteen did not. There was there was this gulf between PG and R for a very long time, and I recall vividly that Gremlins was the the first one. I just love that we're still operating under the fiction that every teen on Earth abides by these oh, arbitrary yeah. rules, no. and no. or that any movie theater actually asks people's identity. Right. Yes. No. I, I fully walked into R-rated films when I was not not yet seventeen. Like all the time, all the time. My first one was White Men Can't Jump, which is not something I'm proud of. But the happened. only time I ever saw anyone get carded for an R-rated movie was when we went and saw Showgirls. Oh well, that makes sense. Well, yeah. yeah, but I could see that actually. That was the only Fewer time. people should have seen Showgirls. <laughs> But um, like, anyway, yeah. to bring this to bring this back to the topic at yeah, hand, sorry. what um, what the whole running around naked scene made me think of, which is just again, it's more of a vibes thing. Has anybody else seen or read Maurice? Oh, which is also yes. an EM Forster joint. Yes, yes. As I said, I've, I I went through the completionist phase. I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna butt in very very slightly with since we're like pronunciation police. Because it's, it's, I would, I too would have normally pronounced that Maurice, and if the, it was an American film, that is how I would say it. It's it's Morris. More. I oh, well. I have been married to a, an Englishman for almost twenty one years. Morris? I yes. like the cat. Yes, it's Ugh. spelled the way that we would spell Maurice, but both spellings in England are Morris. Huh. that's horrible. I feel worse for him now. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen it, but um, just knowing who's in it, I absolutely want to see it. Like, I don't know why I haven't. It's really yeah. good. It's yeah, really no, good. Sure. Um, it's another one of those uh, Forster stories that deals with, like, bigger 
that like sort of bigger emotionally thematic things in the actual story in which not all that much actually happens either surprisingly enough it's one of the ones that didn't get uh that wasn't nominated either probably because of it's uh, because it is about a gay couple i was gonna say it was so extremely gay yeah like it would have been super gay yeah yeah but it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. But I absolutely think that at certainly at the time it was released, yeah. uh, there would have not been any. I mean, uh, what what it came out in what in 80, 86, 87, like right at the heights of the AIDS crisis. I was just gonna say, had President Reagan even said the word AIDS on television by this point? No, don't think so. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. But it's like it's it's not it's it's not subtle about it. So no, no, I, no, we can't have that be rewarded. Right. I, I think actually that may be the first movie I ever saw Hugh Grant in. I'm trying to think. A d- another toddler <laughs> in that film. <laughs> Either I'm just getting like so old, right? Like I, I, I know that that is the movie that sort of imprinted Ben Kingsley on me for a really long time, um, and which is part of the reason why I've always found him hilarious in Marvel because he's still, in a way, like the the uh, what's it's it's. Jones. La- oh, he's in one of the Iron Mans. Yeah, he's he. No, he, he in the Iron Mans he plays like some some like he's an actor Trevor. who His plays. Name is Trevor. Right, oh. he's an actor who plays a who pretends to be a bad guy, and he's still but he's still Lasker Jones. Lasker uh, in in that's that's mm. still who he is to me in a way. And so yeah, like I always sort of see him as well. This must be what happened to Lasker Jones. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just still very up weird. on Morris. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry to be the one to have to, to say this. Yeah, like, I'm going to call it Maurice in my head, <laughs> bending reality to my will. <laughs> no one can police that. You you are free inside your mind. <laughs> anyway, um, speaking of attractive men, um, Julian Sands looks really great in this. But also, R.I.P., I, man. Uh, I, just, I just can't with George and George and Lucy and all of it. I just can't. That's really strange to me because I think George is so hot in this movie, and I. Th- no, I'm not saying he's not attractive, and I totally like in in one. Of- I'm not even saying we all haven't dated that guy, like the hot dumb dude. Like we've all been there. <laughs> yes, I definitely dated that dude. I am very firmly team <laughs> Cyril. I'm sorry. Um, I, I I definitely dated that dude, and I definitely accidentally married a Cecil at one point. Um, but I, I got rid of him very quickly. Um, I. Uh, you know, I think that, yes, he is a little bit of a cipher, and that really did sort of strike me in watching this time, that he you can sort of see him as you wish to see him. But I think that that's why he's so effective as a character, as a hot character, because you can make him be your ideal man, right. because he's any ideal man. I mean, that's a, a really clever inversion of what I think a lot of heterosexual men do um, mm. with beautiful... But perhaps, you know, quiet about their actual personality, women. Yeah, the 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 the, the wife character that so many women play. Right, and and so that's uh, to me that is fun and a little subversive. And then the other thing again, which again, like sh- isn't remarkable to our contemporary eye, but would have been very remarkable in 1908 when the book was published, which is he says out loud to Lucy like. I want you to be your own person. I, re- I recognize you as an individual being. I want you to have your own thoughts and feelings, even when you're in my arms. Like that is just an astounding thing for a man to have said. Like that's, of course she likes him. Like he actually listens to her. Cecil is like, <sighs> Cecil is like the the bizarro world, bad equivalent of like, you know the um the PG Woodhouse character Smith, where the the P is silent, like yes. just like this. He he could be this horrible, horrible person. There's no reason in the world for him to be wonderful, but he is wonderful, and he actually is a socialist, and he really does believe those things. And when Lucy rounds on Cecil and says, "No, you don't. You don't think any of those things. You are like she doesn't say you're full of shit, but that is what she's saying to him." And mm-hmm. it just hit me like that. There's a physical resemblance between the two characters. And um, anyway, yeah, Cecil is that Ce- the funny thing is like we actually see a lot of Cecil's real personality. Yes, we do. And and it isn't it is not attractive. No, which is part of I think part of the point. Yeah. Too, oh, 100 percent. It 
you 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 have to know who he is in order to hate him um or right. at least to to know that he is so utterly wrong yes. for her yes um and that he is basically like basically she she's trying to marry someone who wills she's trying to marry her own suppression in a way oh yeah like she's trying to suppress herself yes. by marrying him. Yes. Like she's not allowed to have a personality because the world says I'm not allowed to have a personality. So I guess I'll marry someone who prevents me from having a personality. And it's really like, it, it, I don't know. Like I just, I love her and George because he represents her choosing not to suppress herself. Yeah. Maybe he's just a really bad kisser. <laughs> but every time they kiss each other, I just get like, is this consensual vibes? Like it's so not hot to me. <laughs> okay, I will say that there is de- that that I can sort of see that though because I think there is, and this is probably just because who puts of the- their hand behind someone's head that fully? Okay, gross. When the- we have to remember that this is 1985, and that there is a level of rapiness that was Pervasive. treated as romance yeah, 100%. at that time and i, mean, I, I think know, I that's general hospital too but like i think that that's probably the vibe that that you're picking up on there yeah. that it's, it is that, a that's an rapey. accident it is a, a little rape and she yeah. says she can't like when cecil says i it occurs to me i haven't kissed you like you know that's supposed to be the correct way to go about it right like they haven't kissed until they're they are engaged and they're on a little walk together by themselves. Um, but she says, I can't run at you. And I remember watching it at the time and feeling you absolutely can, but okay. <laughs> but also you did it before. I don't, I don't. No, no. Yeah. Maybe they could just never kiss again. Maybe that would be her, fine. Her and, her and Cecil? <laughs> no, her and George. No, they're, they are, they're definitely going to be doing a lot. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that maybe he just needs more practice. I don't know. Like there's the the rapey vibe there is just not something that I don't know. Maybe you're right about it was in the eighties. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it did. Yeah. I, I will say like, domination fantasy. Or it something, did not strike like, me Ooh. in any way as rapey. I, I I understand how someone could watch it and see that, but that I I did not at the time, and and I and I don't at this time. That's fine. I mean, honestly, it's, it's it, okay. I knew I was going to be that she stands alone on it's okay. this episode anyway. It's fine. Everyone's feelings are valid. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I will say this is probably this reminded me how beautiful Merchant and Ivory yeah. movies really and so truly pretty. are. Yeah. Um, and I think that even though it became a cliche after a while. And to the point where it became almost uh, an insult to call something Merchant and Ivory. Um, when the tide turned kind of against them. Um, I, I There's something to be said for how much this must have been sort of a shock to the system the first time. I mean, this isn't, as, as I said, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole and no, this wasn't their first film. But it was their first big one that went into wide release. Everything else was sort of left as kind of an indie thing in New York and L.A. and wasn't seen widely by people. And this was like their first one where they really like hit it out of the park. Um, Though it did crack me up that they apparently had a movie before this called Jane Austen in Manhattan. And I needed to know. I know. I what? Did- Oh my gosh. I need to know everything about that when I found that out. I was like scrolling down the list of movies they've made and I'm like, A, they love using the same actors repeatedly. Mm -hmm. B, they're weird. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about Jefferson in Paris. I'm I'm jotting this down right now because I should definitely watch Jane Austen in Manhattan, but um Yeah. Yeah. It it and uh it's just it's one of those things where like I had a I you know, I, I I was sort of under the impression that Room of the View was their first film. And so discovering that, like, they had actually done Heat and Dust and discovering that, like, right. you, yeah, and that they had that uh, the Europeans is actually them as well. That's the Henry James one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I found things like, you know, what was the other one that I found that I was like, oh, Shakespeare Wahala. I was like, what? Well, I mean, Ismail Merchant was indian i mean it was english yeah i know but it was just it it just makes sense that they would have an interest in um Um, also i had no idea that um that ivory basically did uh call me by your name 
the 2017 film. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that. No. And when I discovered that, I was like, oh, okay. Now that just makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Um. So he is still like making runs at Oscars when Oscar isn't looking. Good for him. Just for the record. That's awesome. They uh in the one of the funny things um in the the little mini documentaries on the DVD uh, talked about how you know to him there is such a gulf between the movie that they made and like fan reception of it like that it has had this longevity and that we think of it as just like a masterclass in costume drama and he's like guys we did not have permits to shoot. <laughs> in this piazza and you know a lot of the time we did one or two takes and we just had to move along to the next thing like we couldn't there he's just like we were running around by the skin of our teeth and making I'm this sorry, film not having permits just absolutely kills me. yes um yeah, yeah. but like that was I, I, and, and yeah. they were all kind of saying you know i just seem to remember things were really loosey-goosey um <laughs> and now it's this iconic thing like helena bonham carter is like this was my second film role i had absolutely no idea what i was doing um and i just had to kind of wing it you know, but it's, it is, I think it's certainly one of her most important iconic roles. Yeah. I mean, it's the reason that, you know, even though like the stuff she does today, like I thought she was fantastic in The Crown as Margaret. Oh, like, yeah. She may, I mean, I'm not going to say like Kirby looked a lot more like Margaret. Mm. Um, And I'm mad as hell at how little they used Leslie Manville as Margaret in yeah. season five. Um, But I thought that Bonham Carter captured Margaret's spirit so well. And like, you know, she's iconic to an entire generation for playing um um Bellatrix Lestrange. And like there's a whole bunch of like she's done so much, but I think this one, like, she could have done nothing else and she'd be an icon for the rest of her life yep. for this role. Yep. She was not a great Mrs. Lovett, I'm just gonna say. Oh, uh, well, no, but Honestly, nothing about that Tim Burton movie is good except for the fact that they cast um what's his name as a as as a, a um what is his name? His name is not actually Bruno. His name is not actually Borat. Um Oh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um he is an inspired casting in that film, but other than that, everything about that movie is bad. <laughs> I haven't seen it. This is where I admit I haven't seen it. Oh, I actually... I mean, I s- you don't really need to. If you love Sondheim, you can just watch literally any other version. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I, I saw, saw that an the- amazing live uh, production of it. Like, literally, you don't need yeah, to see no. this. It's, yeah. it's I, I have seen much, much better it. versions live um, at Signature Theater here in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, saw the, I saw the film version once, and I never need to see it again. There you go. Um, that being said, I just... I. I really want you guys to sort of tell me, like, you know, when we were, okay, this is actually a thing Sophie doesn't know. When we were talking about doing this um, in our digital team meeting, um, our our code lady, Jess, who is uh, basically the woman who makes the magic behind our, our website, got really, really upset at the idea that we were doing this because she didn't realize it was Classic Revisited and she thought Room with a View had been rebooted or remade. Oh, um, and we had to tell her, we had to calm her down and say, no, 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 it's okay. We're doing the real one. There's the only real one. one. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> there, I believe there is another, t- there's like a TV adaptation, but I learned that. No, there's a, there's a TV adaptation of Howard's End. Mm-hmm. That's a, that, that stars, a, that stars a, a. Haley Atwell. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and there is actually, is there a TV adaptation? No, I need to go look. I, I believe there is. I, w- I was, Wikipedia was trying to tell me I should check that out. <laughs> A 2007 TV film. Oh, Andrew Davies, who did the, you know, my favorite Pride and Prejudice. Uh, of course. The correct Pride and Prejudice. You don't have to be ashamed to say that on this show. Oh, well, my, my 18-year-old <laughs> is completely devoted to the 2005. Can and I like, leave? it's fine. It's fine. <sighs> no. I'm sorry, but Tom Wamsgans from Succession could never be the ideal Darcy. <laughs> Everybody just needs to accept that. Seriously, when you marry the wrong Darcy, this is what happens to you. Um, succession, succession was a life lesson. Um, 
do you ever want to see Room with a View remade in any way? That I get that is oh. my question because that was the thing that that made when Jess said that and I suddenly realized that I didn't even know if there was a remake. I will I will go first as I suspect my answer is simpler and it is that I don't care. Oh, okay. Um because I am not as I think viscerally attached to this. Uh I was very apprehensive when they made the TV version of Howard's mm-hmm. End because I absolutely loved the one with Emma Thompson um, and mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins, which came out like within a year of the remains of the day. So it's just very weird. And which they also both star in, in another sort of repressed love story for those out there in the dark that don't know. Um, uh, but I love that movie, which is also Merchant and Ivory. And I was very apprehensive about them doing the BBC version with Haley Atwell and it was nowhere near as good but it was fine. Right. I think it's one of those things where they might not nail it. Do you know what I mean? But but when you have a cast like I'm looking at the cast list for the remake of A Room with a View and it's Timothy Spall and you know uh Elizabeth McGovern and uh who else is in here? Um Sinead Cusack, Mark Williams, Sophie Thompson, Emma's sister. Um it's, oh, okay. it's they're all so competent it's going to and in some cases brilliant like i do think timothy spall is a very brilliant actor um he is you, absolutely it's going to be you're n- it's the worry is not will it be any good the worry is will it match my incredibly high expectations based on you know my love and admiration for this earlier adaptation and i kind of think you get stuck in the point where like the best you can get from it is fine which is kind of how I yeah. feel about the BBC Howard. And it's like, it's fine. Right. I wouldn't tell anybody to watch that instead of the yeah. movie. It's fine. There's there's things that I like about the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Like, I, I do like the naturalism of it. I actually think Karen Knightley is a pretty great Lizzie. Like, I just think that um, Tom from Succession is not right. <laughs> so did, did you know him as Tom from Succession first? Or did you know him as, you know, like, I don't know, like, Mr. Keely, Haw- Keely Hawes first. Um, I did not know him first from either okay. of those things. I knew him first from, I'm going to ask IMDb where I knew him from. Hold, sure. please, continue. Sure. <laughs> Honestly, I think I think that t- 2005 Pride and Prejudice is actually when Matthew McFadden made a first impression on me. Um, I may have seen him in other things, but that's where he actually like imprinted on me. Um, and so seeing him as Tom from what, the when I started watching Succession, yeah. he was inferior Darcy. Um, and which is why when when he betrayed Shiv, I was like, ah, that's what you get from marrying inferior nurses. <laughs> um, I clearly I am impr- I imprint upon actors in roles in a in a real hard way. Um, you know, it's just I had not really considered it because one of the things about the Merchant Ivory films is because people treat uh-huh. them like the- he's in Howard's End. Oh, he's in the TV version of Howard's End. Go figure. I I uh, I think that uh, I think that. Because Merchant Ivory is sort of considered dated, that it's sort of treated now as fair game for remakes, um, and seeing sort of it as an as the original, this is the sort of thing that made Merchant Ivory what Merchant Ivory was. I think it's really important that people see this one, even if there is a reboot, even if there is a TV remake now today in the 2020s which would be almost 20 years since the 2007 one yeah um i i feel like even if there was that if it makes people go back and watch this original then that's a good thing and you know like in the same way that like yes i know that there's a lot of people who totally love the kira knightley version because that's the version they grew up with the same way that um I grew up on the uh, the uh, Catherine Hepburn Little Women, um, but Lacey over there is one hundred percent Winona Ryder Little Women, and will fight me. <laughs> yeah, Little Winona Ryder, Winona Ryder Little Women supremacy. Yeah, even though there's just some mistakes in it, but still, I saw that in the theater when it first came out and was like, "This is fine." The one, the one that is the one for me is uh, is the Greta Gerwig one with Saoirse Ronan. Like I I I, I love that one so much, um, but I don't like. I think I think the the only way that we we who love film and television adaptations of classic works of literature can run into trouble is by telling someone that like their beloved uh, film or TV adaptation is wrong. 
Oh, no, I just discovered where I know Matthew McFadden from, and it's embarrassing. Oh, goody. Um, does anybody remember a really bad, like, period crime show that was on BBC America for, like, two seasons called Ripper Street? <gasps> I do not. Oh, my God. Yes, I do. <laughs> oh. It was supposed to be the next big thing. That was the first thing I ever saw him in. So I guess he's that weird cop from Ripper Street to me. He was supposed, this was supposed to be BBC America's big thing that year. And right afterwards, like the week after Orphan Black debuted. And Ripper Street went nowhere Mm. and Orphan Black ran six seasons. It still ran for like three seasons though, which is just the olden days. I know. God, remember when things that didn't work ran three seasons? (sighs) (laughs) Anyway, um... Yeah, so I I think there are very few things in this world that I don't really that that I don't think can be remade. Um, like the Princess Bride cannot be remade. Mm. Um, but that's because it only works because of that cast at that time in that place in that way. Yeah, and I don't think it can be recreated in a. In, I mean, I could be proven wrong, but I can't see it being recreated, um, without it being a pale imitation, and. I don't think that's true for Merchant and Ivory. And as much as I, I, I think that Merchant and Ivory in and of themselves are a thing that you should experience mm-hmm. uh, and not take as a cliche, um, I don't think that it's a bad thing to try and find a way to reach modern audiences with these stories. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'll actually, I'll just loop back around to um, to Mansfield Park. That's the Billy Piper one, right? I'm, I think there is also a Billy Piper one, but that's not the that's okay. that's not the one that I'm thinking of. The one that I'm thinking of came out in like 2000. Is the 1999? Yeah, yeah, by Patricia okay. Rosema. Who like that? People got mad. Woo! Wow, did they get angry? Yeah. Um, Janet actually did a did a classics revisited uh, article on that yeah, one uh, a couple of years ago. However, I think that that is an excellent adaptation. For a whole bunch of reasons, one of which is that it was thoughtfully responsive to like contemporary feelings about a person like Fanny Price. I think that's actually the real reason to do remakes. Mm, say more about that. Because I think um I think much like works of literature, and since a lot of these are based right. on works of literature, I think you get the like it still needs to be in conversation with like where we mm-hmm. are now. So I think um like Greta Gerwig's mm-hmm. Little Women, for example, I think is is much better about doing that than my personal favorite version of the right. story is, which is which is very much like it's just cute. It doesn't really have something to right. say. Like I think I think you can make Mansfield Park is a very easy example of this, but you can make something of that with something to mm-hmm. say. It's part of the reason I was so disappointed in the Netflix Persuasion, which had nothing, nothing to, to say. say. Yeah, I, oh, right. man, and was also just a very bad adaptation mm-hmm. on top of it. I was so excited about it because that is my favorite Austin, and I feel like it. We had to go back and do classics revisited of the 1996 just to make ourselves feel better. Yeah, it was like a palate cleanse. It's perfect. That movie is perfect. It is perfect. I have rewatched it recently. Was like, wow, that doesn't lose anything. But on that note, I would not mind seeing Persuasion now. Same. Like, I would. I would not mind seeing a a version of Persuasion done. Agreed. Now. Oh you yeah. Know what I mean, like I, or, or I feel like that would be really interesting yes. or could be really interesting. That Netflix version was just not right. it. I think there are definitely like, like if you're going to remake something, remake it for a reason, I guess is maybe what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. rather than just like, Oh, we haven't made a version of sense and sensibility right. or Howard's end in right. a while we can use this IP or whatever. Like don't do it unless you're going to add to add to the, I hate to use the word discourse, but add to the discourse, if you will. Or, or or add to the add to the fra- add to the 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 canon. Right. If you have a, a fresh a fresh angle, mm-hmm. um, yeah. No, I think that that's completely worthwhile and and legitimate for sure, for sure. Also, like you were, I can't recall which of you was saying it, but like I completely agree that you know these are they're they're good stories, and people deserve to ex- access them in ways that are accessible to them. Which is actually that's that's my other my other like uh, little soapbox about literary adaptations, which is that I actually think that it is good for people to watch a well done film or TV adaptation of a classic text 
before reading it. That just made my entire internal digestive system recoil, but I respect it. <laughs> I I mean, I say this as like a huge, huge, like a literature nerd, former librarian, like I am all in on the written word. Um, but I, um, you've seen, I, I know you've seen those posters in the library where it's the castle and the tiny castle on top and then the huge castle under the water and the tassel on yes. top is the movie and the castle under the water is the book. Probably. Oh, like the iceberg. It's like the iceberg. Yes. Game. Yes. The iceberg yeah, is the other version of that. And uh, that basically that's what happens when you then go and read the book is you discover all the stuff that was underneath that you didn't get in the movie. Right. And that to me has always been why I never criticize people who read the book after watching the movie. I mean, I think there's I'm there's plant my flag and read the book first and take the hate mail. <laughs> yeah, to me, there is no wrong order. I think whatever is getting people to engage with really mm-hmm. good stories and interesting writing, like that's, I, I, yeah, I'm very, very, very format agnostic. Um, and I also I feel that I, I the other reason why I have always been sort of like it's it doesn't matter which order you do it. And I don't care if you watch the TV show or the movie first is because so many people I knew in high school and college made fun of me for being the one carrying around the huge tomes. And then the Harry Potter movies came out and Game of Thrones came out and they all carried around the huge tomes. Yep. <laughs> hi um, hi i saw your game i only saw him at the has just made an appearance end. on the screen yes. so if anybody hears bells it's because he's trying to get down and i'm blocking <laughs> his chair um, incredible say hi baker boo no i guess he did i don't know he didn't watch broom with a view with me so maybe he doesn't have any thoughts but um <laughs> i don't know i got distracted by cats so i don't know what my train of thought was going with that but uh what I get let's let's see. We did the we did the should we remake mm-hmm. it discussion. Uh what would you because it's not like there's like a sequel to this or anything. I guess like if you liked Room with a View, what would you tell people to mm. watch? Maybe that'll be our last question. I'll start. I'd watch Howard's End. The end. <laughs> I definitely should watch rewatch Howard's End. I recall watching it at some point in my college years. And it I just I didn't I wasn't in the right place to receive it, which is weird because I it's ex- it's extremely my jam. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, it's like the thematically, it's a hundred percent the kind of thing I like. And I had watched and loved and sobbed over Remains of the Day. Um, so so good, good, so sad. I think the one that I would say you should watch if you haven't um, is the the Emma Thompson Ang Lee Sense and Sensibility. Ah, also yeah, love that. So one. good. We should probably do one of these on that movie at some point, as it. Yes, is. please. Also, let's just call it a classic. Um, I would absolutely say the remains of the day. If I if if I had to pick one, um, that would be. Um, it's sort of the other one that got all three Oscars. Oh, in the same way. Good point. Um, and it's uh uh the the unsung hero of Merchant Ivory is um. I'm going to probably not pronounce her last name correctly, but uh, Ruth Prodder. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and uh, she was the one who basically did the actual script. Yes. Um, and she did the scripts for a lot of Merchant Ivory things. A lot of them. Yeah. Um, and she did basically the scripts for A Room of the View and Howard's End and Remains of the Day. Yeah. And the, 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 a Room of the View and um, Remains of the Day were the one where the, all three of them got Oscars. And so if there's one, if if, if you want to follow up, that would, to me is the one that you follow up with. Um, also, just because, I mean, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Emma Thompson, um, James Fox, who is the, I believe he is the father of the Foxes or is he the uncle of the Foxes? I forget. Um uh, uh christopher reeve is in it before oh, uh before he before he oh fell off the horse um peter vaughn uh, that's another hugh grant oh tim piggott smith is wow. in it. um oh, yeah like my weird favorite from jewel in the crown jewel in the crown throwback right on right like oh and and very very young lita heady yes oh my gosh Yes. Right? So like this is seriously like this is one of those ones where you should really just go watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just know that you will cry. Like yes. you will be racked with sobs. Um actually I have a bonus track. Is that allowed? Yes, of course. Sure. We make our own rules here. <laughs> right on. I love it. I love it. Um so 
tonally completely different. Um, but I think a great example of a film adaptation of a wonderful classic text, which is um, Much Ado About Nothing. Wait, is Ooh, that the Kenneth Branagh one? Hot Keanu Reeves. Hot Keanu Reeves. Hot Keanu Reeves, whose performance I did not appreciate for a very long time. Um, um, I appreciated the leather oh, pants. Oh, <laughs> visually, there's a lot to appreciate. But like, in terms of acting choices, I was like, Keanu, what are you doing, man? Ooh. I also, back then, I think had a... Back then, I had a real crush on uh, Robert Sean oh. Leonard because like, I imprinted on Dead Poets so Society pretty. Like, so badly. So pretty. And he is such a good Claudio. Yeah. That, like, I can't. Yeah. So we went and did a double feature in English and history class. And we saw Much Ado About Nothing back to back with Romeo plus Juliet. So I will tell you that movie actually made me okay with weird Shakespeare. Like, I used to be, like, a very <laughs> much a purist about Shakespeare adaptations. But then Baz Luhrmann happened. And I loved, loved that Romeo and Juliet. I do too. I I mostly remember that movie as ha- as as a day where half my class fell madly in love with Leonardo DiCaprio pre Titanic. Yep. And the I mean, other it's really half, hard not to. And the other half of my class fell madly in love with Keanu Reeves pre Matrix. These are both correct. <laughs> I mean, yes, that yes. Everyone yeah. is a winner. Yes, yes, and basically, basically, the 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 ride home on the bus was the was the class breaking into factions while all <laughs> the boys sat in the back, completely confused by what the hell was happening. That's too bad because that was a really great learning opportunity for them, and if they passed it up, then you know, shame on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was the nineties. What he could do. <sighs> Yeah, it was the late 90s. Um, All right. I'm going to call time on this episode because if I don't get Bakerloo off of the shelf, I think he's going to end up on my head. So he is tired of us talking about this. So we will call it. Sophie, thank you for joining us on this show for the first time. I can't wait to have you back already. Thank you so much. That is that is so promising. <laughs> feel feel free to 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 headbutt yourself into our email with lots of exclamation points and inform us which episode you are going to suddenly join us on. I shall. And we will simply put you on the cards. Yes. <laughs> I can pr- I can like truly and sincerely promise to do that. <laughs> I'll be so happy to do that. And I, it is uh, it warms the cockles of my heart that that is something you'd welcome. Tell the people where they can find you online while I try to get my cat down from the shelf. Sure, sure. Well, um, so my username on all of the various socials is at Sophie Biblio, S-O-P-H-I-E-B-I-B-L-I-O. And I co-write the weekly culture commentary newsletter to bossy dames and you can find that at to bossy dames.substack.com um yeah i am i'm who is the other bossy dame? actually well <laughs> because we're so good at math there's actually three of us um so <laughs> I, oh this is like how the big 10 is now like the big 16 probably yes yes probably there's a sports reference everyone get ready <laughs> i know i'm very impressed i'm very impressed i got i got a sports question correct in my online trivia league today and i'm very proud of myself um so, oh, sorry. The so the original two bossy dames were myself and my wonderful friend Margaret H. Willison, who probably many of your listeners have heard on Pop Culture Happy Hour. And um, our third bossy dame is my amazing, wonderful friend Karen Corday. So, but any at any given time, there is a maximum of two of us writing. Huzzah! Yeah. Annie, you're up. Oh, um, you can find me at Annie Bundle, basically all over the internet. Um, I think I'm on Blue Sky now. As a thing. Same. Oh, oh, as know. a thing. Mm. Though I might, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I keep, I keep like switching, mm-hmm. but then like everybody goes back to Blue Sky, so I just sort of follow along. I really wish that we just like figure out what our Twitter substitute was and move on mass already. Agreed. Um, I, I know, I know, I'm asking us to just sort of jump the timeline and that we're not there yet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I really need us to like get a move on. Um, other than that, let's see. I'm the associate editor here at Televisions, and I also freelance around the web. You can find my stuff at Primetimer, MSNBC, CNN, blah blah blah. Um, it's television season, so I'm writing all over the place as usual. Um, I'm writing about things like the gold and what else am I writing about? Uh, sex Education season four, the last season. Uh, Taylor Swift's Eras movie. Um. Literally- Literally cannot wait. 
I'm so excited because I've been waitlisted for every freaking Taylor show I've tried to get tickets for. Stop hogging them, teens. <laughs> I do have to say that I really wish that they would just set aside like a set of tickets for those of us whose birthdays years start with a one. <laughs> anyway. I'm telling you, if we get that sync reunion tour, like back up. <laughs> back up. That's all I'm saying. Um, anyway, uh, other than that, yeah, um, you can basically find me, um, just Google Annie Bundle and, uh, find me on whatever social media I'm on. Um, you can find pictures of my very fuzzy cats being very fuzzy at Instagram, um, on, at Annie Bundle too. Um, and that's basically where you can find all my stuff. Thanks. Bye. Huzzah. Huzzah. I am Lacey MB on all of the things. I am still clinging to the sinking carcass of Twitter, but I also really enjoy Blue Sky. So come be my friend on whatever platform you prefer. If you just want the site and the pod, we are on social media at telly underscore visions on Twitter for now and television's blog, all one word on Facebook. If you like what we do, you can find us at televisions.org where we have recaps, news updates, listicles, all manner of fun things and episodes of this podcast as it happens. Uh, if you really like what we do, there's a big honkin' donate button up top to help us keep making all of this great content and get access to PBS Passport, where you can watch a whole bunch of things early and exclusively. I have not finished the new seasons of Unforgotten or Vanderbalk, but I, wa- I could if I wanted to, is what I'm saying. Uh, that's our show. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us for this supersized episode. I feel like nobody really cares that much and we go long on Classics Revisited. At least I hope not. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. It is vaccination season, so get your flu shot, your COVID booster, something called an RSV vaccine. I don't know. I'm just telling you what our emails from HRSA. But do all of it because it's rough out there and we should take care of ourselves and each other when we can. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>